Morning, Sunday people. God is good? All the time? Nice. So we're, we're working our way through the Gospel of Luke in a series entitled, uh, thank you, go. Just wanted to see if you were with me. Today is very important that you're with me, let's put it that way. So we're, we're going as Jesus goes, right? And it's more than just a head exercise, it's meant to be something that, you know, that influences us to our hands and our feet and our attitudes and our actions and our words and our sayings, and it's just whole life discipleship, and it's hard work. It's hard work to talk about whole life discipleship. A conspiracy of love is another way to talk about the good news of the gospel of God in Jesus Christ. It's another way to talk about the realm of God. It's another way to talk about the kingdom of God. It's another way to talk about how is it, what is that dynamic that we hear in our ears, it impacts our mind, changing our brain so that our whole life acts, breathes, thinks, says different things. We've just finished Luke's Sermon on the Plain, which is considerably shorter than Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's Sermon on the Mount goes three chapters long. Luke's Sermon on the Plain starts in Luke chapter 6, verses 17, and goes through verse 49. So it's fairly condensed. It's quite a bit less in Luke's Sermon on the Plain, and there are, some, there are significant differentiations from the Sermon on the Mount. Namely, at least first of all, the title. Sermon on the Mount looks down at people. Sermon on the Plain looks into people. A flat level playing field. Which even those two name changes impact discipleship. Right? One that says, I am, I've arrived, I've got the goods, follow me like a divine Santa Claus. Sermon on the Mount. The other says, we're in this thing together. How do we operate in a different realm where matter matters, people matter, created all in the image of God, and we live our life differently? So just by way of recap, because you're not supposed to, as a preacher, <laughs> build sermons one right on top. They're supposed to be self-contained each week. That's just one of the rules. You know, when you get that MDiv, that's one of the rules. I'm going to break the rule. Okay, If you were here a few weeks ago, uh, actually before even the Sunday when we were under the oak, we were in here talking about blessings and woes. Remember that? Then we went outside and had a marvelous worship experience under the oak tree. and we, we, The feedback's been great. We hope to do that again, so don't worry. We will. When we were out under the oak tree, all I did was give three words. Do you remember what the three words were? Brush off the cobwebs. A lot has happened in, in three weeks. I get things like that. Forgiveness. And forgiveness was wrapped into twice. Jesus says, love your enemies. Yeah, hold on a second. <laughs> all right, you guys are on this. This is good. 
what, I, what I was trying to do, and I'm going to do this, I think, a few times today, is really long pregnant pauses. Because, because it's so easy to talk fast, and it goes in this ear and out the other ear. Right? Love your enemies twice. And we talked about forgiveness. Now here you go, because you were on it. Generosity. Kindness. Creating space where we don't react and, and stoop down to the level of the world. Where it's all about reaction. Do you hear what that guy said? Well, that blankety... You would never do that. That blankety, that rascal. <laughs> that, that person. Right? So just creating space to zip it a little bit and create space. Now, what I've noticed in my own life is how amazingly difficult that actually is. Right, Don? <laughs> Where are you, by the way? Oh, that, hi, sweetheart. It's very, very difficult, and I found myself in all kinds of different situations and settings wanting to react and defend and educate and explain, right? And then I remembered my own words from Jesus. Hey, wait. Back off. Create some space. Forgiveness. Generosity. Kindness. So I've been thinking uh, quite a bit over the last few weeks how ridiculously hard discipleship really, truly is. Anybody ever think stuff like that? Then last week, we were back in here, and we talked about uh, the reality that blind people, the blind can't lead the blind, and there's nothing wrong with being blind. In other words, there's nothing wrong with having faults. The issue is, don't be blind to your blind spots. Don't be blind about your flaws. In other words, have self-awareness. So that we can be kind. We can create space for generosity. See how this kind of works forward and backwards at the same time? And we can forgive and do the hardest thing, love our enemies. And then we talked about these parables or these metaphors last week that I was trying to argue are funny. Right? I mean, blind can't lead the blind. It's a great cartoon character that you might see in the newspaper. And it would be absolutely ridiculous if your ophthalmologist walked in to do eye surgery on you with this big plank coming, you know, out of your eye. That's funny. It's funny. But what's not funny, or what's more difficult to get our mind around, is how, how do I be emotionally, how do I practice emotional sobriety so that I'm aware of my blind spots so that I can be kind and generous and forgiving, especially of my enemies.
this is not easy stuff. If we allow it to go a little deeper. And then we talked last week too about, a, you know, a healthy tree can't bear bad fruit and an unhealthy tree can't bear good fruit. In other words, what I say and do comes from my heart. And if my heart is healthy, then I'm going to be aware of my blind spots. I'll practice emotional sobriety so that I can be kind and generous and forgiving, especially in loving my enemies. See how this goes forward and backwards at the same time? And one of the things I was really trying to get through to myself, first and foremost, is I really see Jesus in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular in Luke, in the Sermon on the Plain, asking the people of God to rise above, above the ways of the world, to show the world that it is the world, and to offer the world another way to live. So we act according to this, as opposed to react. Does that make sense? Now, this is what blows me away even more, we're going to read today's text. Because Jesus does the exact opposite almost of everything I just said. He, literally, Jesus does this. Which is comforting for, you know, a schmohead like me because I fail more often than I succeed in the creation of some of this kind of space in real time. Does that make sense? So let's look at today's text. And uh, we're going to do something really different in here. And I need your help to do it. Okay? So this first verse is really the end of the Sermon on the Plain. It's, it's the conclusion. It's the, it's the segue into this next story. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There was a centurion servant whom his master valued highly. He was sick and about to die. So the stage is set in one verse. The centurion heard of Jesus, now check this out, and sent some elders of the Jews to him. Asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent a second delegation, friends, a second delegation of friends to say to him, hey, wait a minute, Lord, don't, don't trouble yourself. I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy humility, to come to you. <laughs> but say the word. This is cool. Just say the word, my servant will be healed. For I myself, or I too, or I also, depends on the translation, but that's an important word. In this version here, it's myself. In the original, it's I 
too, or I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes, and I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Most of that is what we experience with our teenagers. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He was surprised. He reacted. (laughs) This blows my mind. Because I've been approaching this text over the last three weeks in my study thinking, how do we not react? How do we not react? How to not be surprised. How to never be amazed. Jesus is asking us to create and act in a certain way where we don't react, we act. And now, in the very next text, right here, he's surprised. He's amazed. He's blown away. He can't believe it. He's pushed back off of his feet. It's like, what? And he turns to the crowd following him and he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. End of story. So, (laughs) I like this. Because just when you think you've got Jesus figured out, He surprises us. Go with Jesus going means yes, we act certain ways as the Spirit of God empowers us to act certain ways. But even then, there will be times when we're surprised. It's the paradox of faith, right? It's much less either or, and more often than not, living the tensions of both and in some way, shape, or form. That's the complexity of discipleship. It's very, okay, here's for the brainiacs, because I know that we have a lot of intelligent people here. We're Presbyterians. It's Kierkegaardian. It's Kierkegaardian. Paradox is the midwife of truth. In other words, truth is found not in the either this or that, Truth is found in the tensions of both and in between, somewhere in the mix. And that's, more often than not, a struggle. So here's what I'd like to do today. I do not have a sermon planned. (laughs) Never planned on planning one. But I do have a plan. And so, for those of you who like to look at the back page of the worship folder to figure out where I'm going so that you can write your lists on how you're going to spend the rest of the day, this is the surprise. I didn't write anything. I just said, surprise, this page has been intentionally left blank. Because what I want us to do is go through this text together and ask ourselves one question. Let's just list all the different ways this text, this story, surprises us together. Will you help me do that? Will you engage with me in this communal learning project, which, my friends, really is discipleship, could be discipleship at its best. All right? Are you ready? Don't leave me hanging. (laughs) Hey, if it works, we'll do it again. If not, it's only been 25 minutes of your life. 
Who cares? Come back next week, see what happens. I'll surprise you then too. How are the, what are all the different ways that we're surprised? Now, if you need to pull the Bible out of the row in front of you, please do that. It may help. If you have your own Bible, either in an app form or you actually bring it, if you've actually brought your Bible, I'll take you out to lunch, although not all at the same time. So let's, let's talk about all the different ways that we're surprised by this text. We're going to do this for a few minutes, and then I'm going to ask us another question, okay? Because we're going to create this teaching time, this challenge, this lead behind together. Does that make sense? Surprise. Hopefully you're amazed in a good way. All right, what surprises you about this text? Yes. Okay, so there's the faith of the centurion. And I'm hoping that's going to get typed up there very quickly. And we don't care about spelling mistakes, but we're going to, we're going to type in, yes, we are, the faith of the centurion. Now, this is interesting because upon first read, we might be thinking to ourselves, you know what, this is about a healing. No, it's not about the healing, as magnificent as that is. The healing story provides the framework for the real story. And the real story is... Thank you, Joanne. The faith of the centurion. We're going to come to that again later. What else do we notice about this story that absolutely surprises us? Yes. Humility. The centurion was a very humble man. You don't need to come to my home. My home is not worthy of you being there. He was humble. Now let's pause for a minute because somebody brought up the centurion's faith, faith and the humility of the centurion. We need to find out a little bit more about the centurion. What do we know about centurions? What's that? They are not Jewish. A centurion is not Jewish. What is a centurion? A Roman soldier. And we would use in our context today a, a Roman mercenary soldier. He's an officer. Thank you, Marilyn Colonier. We didn't even talk about this earlier. He is an officer in the Roman army, probably a, uh, a mercenary on behalf of Herod Antipas. He was probably in the region to do one of two things, if not both of them. He was either a tax collector and or a police officer. What else from the story do we notice that surprises us about the centurion? Yeah, Rebecca. He what? Okay, he was humble and he was compassionate. He cared about his servant. What else? Thank you. He built a synagogue. Now, this is interesting. So he's not a Jew. He's in a foreign land doing his job. And somewhere, somewhere somehow along the line, there was a, 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 a bare minimum compassion for Judaism, if not downright conversion to Judaism. We don't know, but somewhere in that range. He was so compassionate to the cause of Judaism that he had a synagogue built for the people in Capernaum. This is no ordinary foreigner. And when I use the word foreigner, what do I mean by foreigner? Yeah, he was a Gentile, but what does that mean? What's that? Someone not from that place. 
a different ethnicity, a different race. A different race. The centurion was from a different place and from a different race. What else do we notice? What else, how, in other ways, how are we surprised about this story? Because there's a few more really good ones. Okay. okay, he was open-minded. That's a good one. He was open-minded. He had authority. He understood the authority. And if I say it, it'll happen. Just like you can say it. And it will happen. What else? He cared about the people whose land he was occupying. Yes. He ruled, if I can use that word, on behalf of the common good of the people where he was located. This is a, this is a good leader here. This is a great leader. What else? Thank you. You're on to something really good here. He had authority and he sent two delegations. What ethnicity was, were the delegations of that he sent? Jewish. What does that tell us about the centurion, whose name we don't know, surprise, in terms of relationships across racial lines? He had the respect of the people or they would not have gone to represent the centurion to Jesus. And here's what I'm, here's what I'm thinking out loud with you. He was culturally sensitive in every way. He was culturally sensitive in every single way. He was aware of the abuse of his power. He intentionally positioned himself from below so that he could empower indigenous leadership from within to act out the main and key points of this story. Do you hear this? Missiological methodology. Some big words there. Missiological methodology, Tim, means what? It means the way that we do mission. Thank you, Tim Lee, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Tim Lee. Plays in the band. He's also coming under care of Presbytery to become a minister of word and sacrament very soon. So you answered rightly and well, Grasshopper. <laughs> now the student becomes a master. Hopefully better than the master. Okay, so interesting about, are there a few surprises in this story? Yes, my friend. And his, his faith, his faith, led him to Jesus. Notice all the surprising ways faith is in play in this story. Now it's interesting to me because it is the embodiment of all of those virtues that Jesus was arguing for in the Sermon on the Plain, and yet Jesus is still amazed Surprised. Bet you didn't see that one coming. There's only two instances 
in the Gospels itself when Jesus is surprised, when Jesus is amazed. Here, in the faith of the centurion, and in Mark chapter 6. And I want to put up Mark chapter 6 now and show you uh, what that story is. Because only two times this word amazed is used in the Gospels. Our story today and in this one. Jesus left there and he goes to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. And actually, this story is kind of crazy. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. They were surprised. He had authority. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? He's in his hometown church now. Wait, isn't... <laughs> Katie, isn't this your son? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at Jesus. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, in his tribe, and his people, in his own home. I added a couple words. Now listen to this. Because of that, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Here it is. He was amazed. He was surprised. He was blown away negatively at their lack of faith. Whoa. Only two times in the Gospels when Jesus is amazed. In his home church. <laughs> and with this Gentile mercenary warrior. Now does that blow away all of our categories of who's in and who's out or what? See, what's happening in this text is not the healing of the centurion's servant, although that's really surprising and cool. It's the faith of this centurion who's willing to bridge with two delegations, two racial lines. Judaism and non-Judaism, or Jew and Gentile. It's fascinating. Anything else? Any other surprises? How are we doing? We only got a couple minutes left. This is either going to be really cool or it's only got two minutes left. Yeah, Tim. Um, he recognizes that Jesus has authority um, over sickness. Yeah, here's another aspect of discipleship in Luke's Gospel. Actually, all through the Gospels, the authority of Jesus over sickness. And he has authority over all, a variety of other things as well. So it, it's, it's, it's laying out the authority, the exousia, the, the, from the center of God. Jesus' authority comes from the very center of God. All right, we've been surprised, have we not? You get a little surprised today? All right, now, we've got to ask a so what question. And the so what question is, okay, in light of all of this... <laughs> Can we put the next question up there? How can your faith 
be activated in a surprising way on behalf of another. See, this is the really difficult aspect of discipleship. Because I think all too often in the church, we make discipleship all about the belief in the stories. That's only half of discipleship. The other half and the more important half and the really difficult half of discipleship is will this be any more than just a lecture? Will this ever be anything other than cool information? So, I would submit to you very humbly that discipleship is more than just knowing a lot of cool stuff and being surprised. It's about, okay, if all of this is now true, what are the implications of this in my life? How does this surprising faith of a centurion person crossing racial lines on behalf of another transform the way in which you ready? We love our enemies. We forgive. We're kind. We're generous. We're all those things. Ron. Don't judge a book by it. It reminds us of not judging a book by its cover. How do we act this text out knowing now what we know? How will your faith that's so genuine and internal become an external expression of that in such a way that lives are changed? That's discipleship. That's acting on behalf of the realm of God. Any thoughts? Okay. Can I uh, keep talking with you, Sharon? Compassion for those who are different than you. What do you mean by that? How? Right. Okay, how would I, how would you show compassion for people that are different than you? Okay, so who is the everyone that you're referring to? Who, who are the various names of all God's creation? Thank you, yes. Okay, so immigration, the homeless. Yeah, people that don't look, dress, act like the norm, whoever decided what the norm was, right? Good. I'm going to let you off the hook. And I was, I was giving you a hard time. I was giving you a hard time only because, first of all, did you notice how difficult it was to go to that question? Okay, I'm pastoring us now. See, the transformation question is the second one. The information question is the first one. We do a great job with information, but now we have to work on transformation because that's even more important. 
So I'm not surprised that there's a longer pregnant silence. Because the second question is harder to answer than the first. And when we do answer it, we, we keep it in very general terms. But if number two is going to be as important as number, if the second question is going to be important as the first question, we have to be very specific in the way we answer question number two as well as question number one. You follow? That's a, I imitated my father-in-law there. You follow? Follow? Okay, so what's happening? How, how do we as a faith community put this text to life right here in a five-mile radius? What does that mean? What do you mean? What does solidarity mean? Okay, thank you, doctor. Ron Basler, who, by the way, has a PhD. I just have a doctor of ministry. Uh, what else? I'm going to go right here, then there, then there. I think... Uh Getting to know what is in that stranger's heart would um, find out what their, his wants are, her wants and needs are, and usually it'll turn out to be exactly what they want and need. I'm going to do my best to repeat that. Trying to understand what exactly it is that is in that other person's heart, because if we listen to what is in that other person's heart, we'll probably find out that that person's wants and needs are the exact same thing as mine. Not bad for a drummer. <laughs> yes. Oh, I gotta, I gotta, I'm gonna go to Joanne first. Good, so we've got, we've got four events coming up in the next month where we're opening ourselves to the larger church community and the larger community. We're going to host Presbytery here Saturday, September 29th. All hands are on deck. We're going to host Science Mike here October 17th. All hands on deck. We're going to host Fall Fest out there. All hands on deck. We're going to also host a 50th anniversary of the Los Ranchos Presbytery in here, October 14th, I believe. All hands on deck. So this overwhelming generosity based in forgiveness and love for even our enemies, right? See how these virtues and values live themselves out. Or it's not True discipleship. One more, and then Roy. For me personally, actually reaching out to people of different faiths and backgrounds, as well as the LGBTQ community, let them know that we are loved, and as we're all created in God's image, we are here as Christians to show and be God's uh, love to everyone. Okay, another very, very insightful comment, right? Reaching out to all people. All communities, including LGBTQI, whatever, I mean, the, the acronym gets longer, and creating this generous space. 
because all people created in the imago dei, the, the very image of God. Now, do you notice what goes on in your mind? Some of these in my mind are probably more culturally acceptable than others. But why? Why? More of a rhetorical question, Lynn. See, the realm of God is a different politic. Can I say that? This is very important for us to understand because we're so divided politically in our country. But when we come into a church, it's a whole new politic. It's called the realm of God. Republican, Democrat, Independent, they go away when we walk into a place like this because we build our life on the solid foundation of Jesus the Christ. It's the realm of God that's the politic that drives how we act and live and be in the world. And that's what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Plain and the Sermon on the Mount. We must not, we cannot, we better not ever conflate our political in the world politics with what goes on in the church because the church's politics are different. Can somebody please say amen? Amen. It's a different politic. That's why we have our polity, Presbyterians. Our polity is not Republican-Democrat, red, blue, purple. Our polity is the realm of God in the ways that we're unpacking, and it's super hard, is it not? Yet, build your house on a solid foundation when the wind... (laughs) and the rivers rise, the home will stay intact with Jesus Christ as the foundation. Let's pray. This cannot, this must not, this should not ever be only about information that we run through our partisan ears. These are stories that transform lives. Shows the world another way to live. It is not safe. It is not easy. It is a good difficult struggle and we are the ragamuffin crew known as the placenta presbyterian church that's wrangling and wrestling and noodling and puzzling our way through these tumultuous waters and times our faith is built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness that and that alone is our strong foundation. May it be so. Give us the courage. God help us all. In your name we pray. Amen.